0: Alicia Del Valle and the babyface gimmick in the sky, Roger. Bienvenidos, señores y señores, to another episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast. This episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, football, college football, boxing, golf, and more. online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting, and your favorite casino and card games are available to play right from your phone. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BLEAV for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. And joining us on the carne asada is the play-by-play announcer on the radio side for the Marineros of Seattle, and he's also the host of the Mariners pod, Gary Hill Jr., ¿Cómo estás, amigo? Bienvenido to the carne asada. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I really appreciate it. Gary, uh, as, as I was talking to you off air and I told you, uh, you know, baseball has become so regionalized when I was a kid, I used to know everything about, well, not everything, but I knew a lot about all the teams and all of major league baseball. Now it's, it's just, all it's just Dodgers, Dodgers, Dodgers. So the Dodgers are going up to Seattle this weekend and they're playing the Marineros. So we need to know everything about this Marineros team. First of all, what are the dodgers getting themselves into right now in seattle because i see the mariners are in a dogfight mm-hmm. with the astros and the rangers so not only are the mariners fighting for a wild card spot but they still have a shot at this division how well are the mariners playing right now they're playing pretty
1: well uh if we pull back and look at this season for the mariners High expectations coming in. They broke their playoff drought last year and expected to go back to the playoffs this season. It was really interesting how this has played out. The offense really struggled for the first couple months of the season. And if you go back to July 24th, they lost a game in Minnesota. They, after 100 games, were dead even 50 and 50 after 100 games. They were the definition of a 500 team. They had never won more than four games. They had never lost more than four games in that entire stretch. Since then, the offense really got cooking. The pitching has been good all season long, but when the offense got kicked into gear. Since then, they've had the best record in baseball, 31-15, and 15, tied with the Dodgers, funny enough, since that <laughs> stretch, so... They've been playing great baseball. Now, they had a tough road trip before this recent homestand. They just took two or three from the Angels. It was a, it was a long, tough trip, ended by losing three out of four against Tampa Bay. But generally speaking, they've played their best baseball of the season. The offense has been the best of the season. And they're pitching, whether it's the rotation, their bullpen has been really steady all season long. And that's the backbone of the team, especially the rotation. That's when they're at their best. They're still not a team where the offense will carry the load, but if they score five, six runs, it's usually enough with the pitching.
0: So being that, okay, they around the the all-star break a little after the all-star break is when they went on this run, going into the season what were the expectations they they tasted the playoffs mm-hmm. did they the way that season started off this year for you guys did were you guys just like what's happening we we were supposed to be good <laughs> yeah i think everyone was saying that really it was kind of a waiting game everyone
1: was kind of waiting for things to get kicked into gear and it's funny because this season has played out very similar to last season it was the same sort of thing where things just they had a really tough May last year, and at one point they ripped off fourteen wins in a row and just kind of shot into the playoffs and won a playoff series against the Blue Jays so it was kind of similar how it happened this year. They had a ridiculous August led by Julio, who was just unbelievable during the course of that month. but you're right, we were just kind of just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting, but you get to the point where you know you're looking look at your watch and it's late July and you're starting to think, Hey, are we going to run out of time here? Because you know, when they were 500, they had the 10th best record in the American league. they were in fourth place in the division. Now the expectations coming in were playoffs and to give the Astros a push. The Astros have had a stranglehold on the division for the past few years, and they're still a really good team, but the expectation or the hope was to challenge the Astros at the top and so far, not only the Mariners kind of pushing the Astros, the Rangers right now are pushing the Astros too. The division is up for grabs, the playoff spots up for grabs. So the goal is right there after what has kind of been a roller coaster ride. They can still manage their goal and get into the postseason. And they're a dangerous team, especially with the top
0: three in the rotation, if they get in. So you 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 brought up a name that I want to uh, talk about, and that's Julio Rodriguez. I uh, what this kid did last year. I guess it's always there's always the danger, right, Gary, that, okay, let's not get ahead of ourselves, because I guess the true test of being a really good major leaguer is can you do it again? You know, you're not going to surprise anybody anymore. And it seemed like I didn't really hear much about him the first half of the season. But then around the All-Star game, and I don't know if it had to do with the fact with the All-Star game being in Seattle, but it seems there was a stretch and I please confirm this for me. wasn't there a stretch where he outhit the Yankees just by himself like he outhit the whole team? what can you tell me how good is this kid and is that are we seeing the real deal? This is a superstar Yeah, uh he had
1: seventeen hits in four games, which was a major league record and happened to equal the Yankees in that stretch. He has been unbelievable. And you're right. I mean, he's 22 years old. He had all the expectations coming into the season. And I think there was an adjustment period for him, especially when the offense was struggling. I felt like he really felt the pressure early on. Like every time that he came up, he felt like he had to be the guy to break through and get the offense cooking with the all-star game in Seattle too. There was expectations for him to get to the all-star game and be in the home run derby. It's just the weight of the world on his shoulders in the first half of the season. And there were some things going on, like his strikeout rate was pretty high early on. He was doing some chase early on. So he was having a good year, but I think he was suffering from the weight of those expectations. Like he wasn't living up to these sky-high expectations. It has been a different story. It's not a coincidence that the Mariners have played so well since that stretch at 50-50 when what I talked about that Julio has been unbelievable in that stretch. He has been truly MVP caliber. Now, if Otani didn't exist and there was a real debate for the MVP, I think there'd be a case to made for Julio to win MVP this year. I think right now he finished second in the American league. His August is truly something I have never seen before. And it's the combination of what he does. It's the hit total was unbelievable. he, was 45 hits in the month, but the power to go with it, the homers, the doubles, the speed. He just got 30-30 the other day. And in center field, he has played a great center field and he's really improved in that position. It is hard to overstate how fast he is, which is wild when you see him in his body. He's huge, but he can fly. He's got this ridiculous skill set and he's got the part that superstars have. He he transcends the game. The way he plays, the joy, the smile, you don't want to take your eyes off him. If he's coming to the plate, that's not the time you're going to get a hot dog at the ballpark. If you're driving in the car, that's the time you're waiting to listen to his at bat to see what's going to happen because literally anything could happen. He in my opinion, getting to watch him every day, he's a true superstar in this game and I don't know where his ceiling is. it's fun to think about what he could be down the road, but it has been so fun to watch him this year and what he's developed into.
0: Well, I mean, when you think about it, Gary, there's this lineage of Seattle Mariner superstars. You have Griffey, you have Ichiro. I mean, to a certain extent, I think you can put probably Edgar Martinez in there and, and Randy Johnson. But to me, Julio has the capability of being like Griffey and being like Ichiro being that, I mean, you're from Seattle, right? You're that area born and raised in that area. Is it a baseball town? Is it a Seahawks town? Like can Julio be that kind of transcendent star? What is his relationship like with the community? Uh,
1: It is unbelievable. The, The connection is vibrant between the fan base and, and Julio He's already signed an extension. He's going to be in Seattle for a long time. I always had to hesitate to compare him to Ken Griffey Jr. Because I feel like it's just not fair. Griffey was one of the greatest players of all time. Yet, the comparisons are so easy to make given what he has done. And what Griffey meant to this city. And what Edgar has meant to this city. You're right to put Edgar in that category. Because he is a beloved player in Seattle. He's someone that has spent uh, spent his whole Hall of Fame career in Seattle. So those are the beloved icons of the city. And, man, who knows how Julio's career plays out. We don't know what it's going to look like, but it is sure it looks like he's on that same path, uh, that same road, that Hall of Fame, Mariners Hall of Fame. It's just everything. Everything is on the table for Julio, and he is beloved by the fan base. It is an instant connection. They love him. There's already a section in center field if you watch the games on TV. Uh, they wear his T-shirts right behind him. You'll see when he goes back for a catch. You know, he'll give the no-fly zone to the fans. Like, he, he, just The connection is there, and it's so fun to watch. It's, it's the thing I love about the game right now. There's so many great players and so many great young players and the connection, whether it's Acuna with Atlanta fans or Julio with Mariner fans with so many great players. And the connection
0: is there, too, which I think is great for the game. And and that's what caught my eye, Gary. Is look, I'm a huge baseball fan. I want baseball to be the number one sport in in this country. I want baseball to be the number one sport in this in the world, right? But I do feel like the players need to do their part. Like the if the players engaged more with the audience, like to me, when he robbed that piece and mm-hmm. then just sat there, and you the suspense, like to me. That's the difference why I think he has the opportunity of being a superstar, right? Because he understands the theater aspect of, of sports entertainment. He milked that, Gary. And then when he just simply, in a very small gesture, just lifts up his glove and you see the ball in there, it it, it was amazing. And for this kid to be 22 years old and for him to get that, yeah, I, I mean, where did he learn that? Or is that just him?
1: I, it's just him that's the beauty of it when you watch him play and he's always got a smile on his face he's always laughing having fun that's him that's him off the field that's him on the field that's the beauty of this thing he's just being himself on the field which is great and i you're you're absolutely right and that's why i say he has a chance to transcend the game because not every baseball superstar can transcend the game but Watching Julio, he's got that chance. He really does. He has all the ingredients to be not only a great player on the field, but really a face of this game.
0: I, I want to ask you about someone else that I I really don't know anything about, so I'm going to rely on you. And that's, uh, and I, I might be butchering his last name, but is it is it pronounced Raleigh? Cal Raleigh? Cal Raleigh. So there is this new adage in baseball and on this show we are big proponents of batting average. You know, we feel we believe in batting average. We think batting average is a stat that should still matter. But he's got what? Now 30 home runs, yeah. but he's hitting a, a like 235. What is what's the ceiling for this guy and is this have the Mariners, just like the rest of Major League Baseball, just completely accepted the fact give us the home runs. We'll take the low batting average.
1: You know, it's uh kind of who they are. They are a team that is based on slug. When you look at their lineup, uh, Cal is one of them. Teoscar Hernandez is another one. Eugenio Suarez. But they do. They do like to get on base, so on base percentage over batting average in that sense. Uh, Cal Raleigh is really interesting. It's his second full season. I don't feel like he's gotten the full attention of Major League Baseball yet, but he's having a phenomenal season. In a lot of ways, he's having the best single season a Mariners catcher has ever had because he's really good defensively. He handles the staff really well. His framing is great. He's been great at throwing guys out, especially as of late the last couple of weeks. All the intangibles, that is all him. And he's grown up with a lot of the pitchers. Like He came up with Kirby and Gilbert. They all kind of came up together. So he's worked with them for a long time. But he is great behind the plate. And the home runs are there. He's going to get 30-plus this season. And I know the rest of the slash, the batting average, the on-base percentage, it doesn't jump off the page. But It's a 20-point improvement over his first year, last year in batting average. It's a 30-point improvement and on-base percentage. So if he can keep improving, you know, 10 points, 20 points, like he looks like a guy that not only will the power be there, but especially in the context of catchers, right? I mean, you guys have a great one in Will Smith. I think he's one of the best catchers in the game. But guys like that aren't growing on trees right now. There's not a lot of production at that spot. Cal Raleigh, I think, is one of the best young catchers in the game. Now, he doesn't have the name that Rutschman has, but he's really good and critically important to the Mariners, especially with uh, pitching is everything for the M's. It's their backbone, and him behind the plate working with the pitchers is critical
0: for this team. Gary, how I mean, you had mentioned how the the, the pitching, especially their starters, are, are a real strength for this team. How did the Mariners get away with trading their closer halfway through the season and still have a very strong bullpen?
1: Yeah, it's amazing what the Mariners have done. Developing pitching is the strength of this team. They've done it with starters, whether it's been homegrown, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, two examples, having phenomenal seasons for the Mariners. They just really know what they're doing on the pitching side. They've had a strong bullpen each of the last three years, yet the names have been different every single year. It's been a transition every year, but they've been strong. The back half of this bullpen, a couple of homegrown guys, or guys they've traded for when they were young and came up. Andres Munoz, who throws 102. He's got a ridiculous fastball, a great slider. His stuff is wicked. Matt Brash just crossed over 100 strikeouts his last time out. His stuff is wicked. Those are the two guys in the pen. But to your point, how do they do it? It's guys like Justin Topa, who (laughs) is a 32-year-old rookie this year. He had two Tommy John surgeries a few years ago in his mind. He had quit baseball. It was a phone call from a friend asking him, Hey, do you want to come join our independent league team? We need a pitcher. He's like, okay. And what do you know? At a few years, here he is pitching leverage games for the Mariners in the bullpen. It's a guy like Gabe Spire, a lefty who the Royals let go, who's been traded nearly a half dozen times. He's been in all kinds of different organizations and now he's playing a key role for the Mariners. They're just really good at not only raising their own, but finding traits in guys throughout the league, kind of castaways, things they do well that they can enhance in the Mariners' bullpen. And that's been the key, and that's why they were trading from a position of strength. In fact, Seawald is probably the number one example of a guy they did that with. He was a castaway from the Mets a few years ago, and the Mariners helped turn him into one of the most dominant relievers in baseball. So it's, it's come full circle in that way, I guess.
0: I I have to ask you, Gary. And in the all-star game this year, we saw the fans in Seattle cheating, uh, cheering Shohei Otani's name. And, He's going to be the free agent. And of course, Seattle's always mentioned as a destination. And I can't tell if that's just lazy or if it's just racism because of the Asian population in, in Seattle that we automatically have to assume that Otani is going to go to the Marineros. But how realistic? I, I mean, is the are the Mariners a serious contender? Are they prepared to go all in and whatever it takes to get Otani?
1: Yeah. I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. This, this question is so shrouded in mystery for me. I just, I don't know what's going to happen. And I feel like his injury has cast even more doubts onto this
0: whole situation. Do, do you uh, really think that's people the teams will stay away from him now because of that injury? I don't know. I, I guess at a certain price
1: point, they probably would. I guess that's the bottom line. I think the Mariners, The Mariners went after him hard the first time around. And from all indications, they were a finalist. I don't know if they were next or third or whatever. But for all indications, uh, Otani thought highly of the Mariners. And there is a strong tradition of Japanese players. Ichiro the headliner, of course. But it goes beyond that. Iwakuma was a great pitcher for the Mariners for a number of years. Jojima was their starting catcher for a long time. There was a 20-year span, I think, where they had at least – one Japanese player on the roster. So there is a long tradition of Japanese players having big success in Seattle. So I think that is a real thing. And it's, there's some other intangibles to Seattle that he may enjoy. I know one thing that Ichiro really liked is you can kind of live your life in Seattle as well. The spotlight is not as bright as it would be playing for the Dodgers, for example. And I know the Dodgers are certainly considered a front runner for Otani. So there are some other things that I think are attractive to the Mariners. I just, I have no idea what this contract is going to look like. And I don't know. So, so it's hard for me to even think about who is actually realistically in this competition. Would he look great in a Mariners uniform? And would fans love him to come to Seattle? The answer on that is yes. I just, I just don't know how likely that is. I have no idea.
0: How much is box office a a factor in that? Uh, Like when the angels come into town, do you see uh, attendance kick up a bit and people are there specifically for the Otani factor or is, is the Mariners attendance pretty consistent and reliable? It's been pretty consistent the last couple of years.
1: I think the thing, it's a hard thing to measure, I think because this year's a little different, but you know, the angels being in the division, we see them all the time. So it felt like uh, you have a chance to see Otani in three different series during the course of the year until this year. Now it's just two series. So I don't know if there's a measurable difference in the bump, but uh, it's kind of funny. Cause I always feel like this too. Like I love watching Otani cause he's like nothing we've ever seen. I love watching trout play and we've had a chance to watch his prime this whole time at the same time. When you're watching a team battle for their playoff lives and Otani and Trout hit homers against you, it's like, yeah, this was fun until right now. <laughs> when when Otani's throwing 99 and uh, blanking your lineup, it's like this is, isn't as fun now. But it, it has been incredible to see those two guys in this division. And so, especially with us, we go on the road too. We see them a million times a year. Uh, but I like the new schedule too because now everyone gets a, a chance to see at least every couple of years, fans get a chance to see the Otanis and the Trouts of the world, which I love. Like, I love the Dodgers to come to town. Uh, the timing is not great because the Mariners are <laughs> desperately need, need these wins, right? I mean, it's fun to see bets. It's fun to see Freeman. But, uh, you know, the Mariners need some wins, too, and they won't make it easy. That's for sure.
0: Well, just to wrap things up and bring everything full circle. I I think you guys might be getting the Dodgers at at a good time just because their pitching uh, rotation is in shambles right now, but the Dodgers are very close and they have an opportunity this weekend to wrap up the division, but your Mariners are fighting for their playoff lives. So I feel the sense of urgency is definitely on the, on the Marinero side. Uh, That being said, I I know you're not in the business of uh, predicting things, but we always have to have an immediate reaction. What are you anticipating this weekend for uh, between these two teams, this series?
1: I think it's going to be a great series. Uh, The crowds are going to be huge. Uh, I think there's going to be a ton of excitement. You know, the Mariners are fighting for their lives It is razor thin between the Rangers and the Astros and the Blue Jays and the Mariners. So every win is hugely important for me. I'm super pumped to see Betts and Julio on the same field, because as I talked about the August that that Julio had, I mean, Betts had this exact same month. He was incredible. And it was fun to watch from afar. To see everything that he's done. For me, Betts is right now the MVP in the National League. I think for not only the offensive season that he's having, which has been phenomenal, but the fact the guy has been a plus defender in right field, a plus defender at second. He's played shortstop as well. I mean, talk about doing everything for your team. And those two guys at the top, I mean, it's historic what they're doing. They have been a wrecking ball to teams all season. So the Betts-Freeman thing... I'm excited to see play out, uh, especially against the Mariners pitching. I mean, it is strength against strength, like George Kirby going in game one of the series. If you haven't seen George Kirby a lot, you'll really like him. He's a tremendous pitcher. Uh, I'm not sure nationally if he's quite, I mean, he was an all-star this year, but he's really good. He doesn't walk anybody. I'm excited to see what that looks like against the Dodgers, but, I'm super excited for this series. And I know, uh, especially with the Dodgers rotation, you know, not at their strength, but I always get excited to see Clayton Kershaw, a future Hall of Famer. I know there's questions surrounding his velo and what exactly he's going to look like when we get a chance to see him. But I have not had a chance to see him very often in person. So I always cherish the, the times I get to see future Hall of Famers. And no question, that'll be Kershaw this weekend.
0: Gary, it seems like... That's a big deal to a lot of people, uh, Mookie Betts playing in the infield and and doing that. And a lot of people that have votes or if they didn't have votes, if they said they that's a big difference maker for them. You had mentioned seeing Otani and, you know, seeing him do, you know, what we pro- never anybody has seen done. But seeing bets do this and not being able to see it every day, does that really stand out to you? Is that that jarring for you? It is because when I look at it, it's not like he's just standing out there and
1: playing right field. He's a plus defender. Yeah. And then I would expect him to go to second base and be just fine or be just replaced. But he's a plus defender at second too. And that's the thing that moves the needle for me. It's not like, They're just moving him there, and he's just standing there, and he's not that great. He is. Even at shortstop, he rates out as a good (laughs) defender. I know he hasn't played there a ton, but he's been there. And so when you're talking about guys who are having similar seasons, like Acuna, who's having a great year offensively, so it does move the needle for me when when everything is so close. It's just – I find it ridiculous what the (laughs) NL MVP race has turned into. Because the seasons are phenomenal. It's actually a shame that all those guys can't get one because in different years, like Freeman in a different year would be the MVP. Betts would be like hands down in a different year. Same with Acuna. It just so happens they're all doing it in the same year. So there's got to be a
0: separator, and, and it is a big deal for me when I look at it. And in a far distant fourth place is a guy who's hit over 50 home runs. And we don't even talk about it. I know. I know. We, we, so you're right. That the National League MVP. I, I, I'm i glad that you gave us perspective on the AL MVP. It's it, it's Otani's to lose. <laughs> and, but I'm very eager to see Julio this weekend. Uh, Gary, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show and giving us all this knowledge. So now when uh, the we're watching the games this weekend, our listeners, our viewers – we'll feel a little more learned when it comes to to the Marineros. So we can't thank you enough. And look, if you guys are Mariners fans and you were not aware of the Mariners pod check it out Gary, where can our viewers, our listeners follow you on the social media? Uh,
1: at Gary Hill jr. On Twitter and yeah, find the podcast Mariners.com slash podcast. You'll find Mariners pod and the wheelhouse with, uh, Gary DePoto, which is always fun, too. We get uh, the real inside scoop, (laughs) which is (laughs) nice.
0: There we go. So thank you very much, Gary. We can't thank you enough for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, no problem.
0: Anytime. This was fun. And a big thank you once again to Gary Hill Jr. He is the play-by-play radio announcer for the Marineros uh, of Seattle. for And he's the host of the Mariners pod, which you can listen to on MLB.com. A uh, big thank you for him coming on the show and giving us all that info on the Mariners. One thing that I forgot to bring up. Well, its we ran out of time, but it, he had mentioned George Kirby. And I... I, I want to talk about this with you, babyface, because I want to get your thoughts on here. So George Kirby got a little bit of heat last week. And for those of you who aren't familiar with this, George Kirby is the pitcher that George was mentioning for the Mariners who um was pretty open in a post-game uh interview. Um, he was pulled in the seventh inning after he gave up a game-tying home run, and it kind of went viral. He, because his response was, he basically, here, I'm going to read it word for word. I wish I wasn't out there for the seventh, to be honest. I was at 90 pitches, and I didn't think I needed to go anymore. So, you know, Gary told us that, you know, George is having a great season. He spoke very highly of him. But this quote, I it seems, especially a lot of the old school baseball players, didn't like this quote and uh, they really took this guy to task. One of the old school guys that took him to task uh, was Roger Clemens. Uh, Roger Clemens. Here's what Roger Clemens tweeted. He said, this is tough to hear would not fly in the old days. Unfortunately, this is how players are being taught with modern analytics. What are your all thoughts? Right? Well, let me ask you this baby face. Does Clemens have a point there? the fact that he knew how many pitches he had now it's a different story. If George Kirby was like, look, I felt tired. I, I, you always say you always hear that players are never going to ask, be asked to be pulled out of a game. Now, do we know if George Kirby actually did ask to be, you know, pull me, but they still threw me out there. We don't know. But this thing that Clemens is hinting at, If he knew I'm at 90 pitches, I know I've never gone more than 90 pitches. I know that I'm not very good after 90 pitches. I I need to be pulled. If that's true, what this seems it comes off as is this is kind of selfish on Kirby's part, isn't it? Because it seems to me that what Kirby's really talking about is you cost me a win. And that I, I get measured in wins as opposed to other stats. Am I reading too much into that baby face? Yeah.
2: I mean, it, it's tough. Cause like, I mean, we've discussed this, you know, number of times, right. We, 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 we talk about the difference, right. We, how the game was played, you know, when we were growing up, how it is now, right. The batting averages, you know, everything, the wins. Right. And yeah, I mean, we're we're used to guys going out to you know Nolan Ryan's out to 150 pitches, whatever, like 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 nothing, right? So yeah. we're we're kind of used to that. And now the mentality is like, oh man, this guy gets to 100, it's, you know, it's time for him to come out. And it's like, well, why can't he go another inning or whatever, right? That's that's kind of how we think. And I mean, it, it is now getting to these guys where like they know, like, hey, if I'm hitting 85, 90 pitches, I know I'm done. And they don't they don't have. You know, I don't know. They don't want to go further than that, or, or or continue in the game. And and I think he, you know, he he caught a lot of heat for that. And I think the next day he kind of walked it back a bit, kind of just saying, you know, what I, I should, you know, continued and stayed out there. But yeah, it, it it is, you know, like we said, it it is a different game, and that's kind of it, it's kind of it is an adjustment for a lot of people just to understand that, like, okay, it is, it is a different game than what we grew up with. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I totally get what Roger Clemens is saying. I mean, you wouldn't see that back in, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Right. I mean, that that's unheard of a guy saying like, you know what? I can't go anymore. So, yeah, I mean, I totally get it.
0: It's, it's interesting because just earlier in the week, Dave Roberts pulled Emmett Sheehan, he had like 65 pitches. And I mean, Emmett Sheehan at that point, I think had given up six runs already. Uh, I mean, it didn't look like Emmett Sheehan was, uh, was fooling anybody, um, but it, it wasn't Emmett Sheehan. I'm sorry. It was Gavin Stone. Gavin Stone. Gavin, he pulled Gavin Stone after 65 pitches, but Gavin Stone was getting like, I think he had given up at that point, what, already four home runs in that game? I mean, he wasn't, you even said it yourself, babyface. He wasn't fooling anybody. Uh it's interesting because that's who the Dodgers are going to see in the first game of this series. So you best believe when I see him start to hit to the 90 pitch mark, I'm going to be very curious to see what his body language is going to be like and if the Dodgers are going to be, you know, wearing him down. Uh, it, it's a really unfortunate because I don't know if this guy's going to be able to live that down. Uh, I, I know hopefully he has a long career and it is just a footnote. But the the amount of heat that he took on social media for that, I I think it was just basically the old heads just looking for a reason to be able to attack analytics. But it it I mean, can't you really make an argument? Also, he knows his body better than anybody. If he was feeling tired, isn't it the manager's responsibility to check in on his pitcher and protect the player from himself? Because if he was tired, if he knew he didn't have anything else left, he's not really helping his team by going back out there, is he? The Mariners have a good bullpen. Yeah. I mean, is that, has he never gone further
2: than 90? Right. Is that, is that kind of his, and is also, is, it, is that something like too, like, is it already in his head? Like, well, I can't go more than 90. I, I know that. like, Or is it something that they work on to get, you know, like Lance Lynn, you know, he had, what, 100 pitches the other night, right? And I think he came back out, right, yeah. for the seventh, right? So, I mean, I, I don't know what, what the difference is. Like, I mean, I don't know if it's, you know, you continue to stretch these guys out to get to, like, 100 and, hundred, you know, 105 pitches or whatever. Um, But, yeah, I mean, like you said, though, I mean, the guy definitely, a pitcher is going to know. Their strengths and their weaknesses, and and they know hey, once I get kind of up there ninety, you know they're done. So, I mean, it is what it is, and and apparently, like you said, I would I would I would say that yeah, that the pitcher does know where they're more more comfortable at, and they know what what they still got in the tank, and you know if they're gonna hurt the team, continuing to pitch, you know it's better to get them out.
0: You know one of the here's the problem with that. He went nine innings against the Orioles earlier in the season and threw 103 pitches. <laughs> he threw nine shutout innings, nine shutout innings, and threw 103 pitches. So it, that's why this whole thing comes off is really, it is really kind of this looks really bad because it again, it looks like what you're upset about is you lost a decision. Yeah. Like if you would have been pulled. You had a chance to win the game. If the team loses, it's not on you. That's what it comes off of. So it it's very interesting. They're they're a young team. They're, they're a young Mariners team. But could you imagine any Dodgers pitcher having that conversation? I mean, you mentioned Lance Lynn. I mean, I thought Lance Lynn was going to get pulled earlier in that game because everything Roberts has told us this year. That he's not gonna go and throw Lance Lynn over a hundred pitches, he's not gonna run Lance Lynn into the ground. Now it turns out afterwards, Robert said the reason why he let him go as long as he did was they were short in that game and he wanted to save the bullpen. And that's when Hurt ended up pitching two innings. So it, it's a very, very fascinating to to see these the arguments. And we, we talked about it with Gary too, the batting average. You know, they look, yes, Muncie now is over 200 and he's got 35 home runs. I think he's going to have almost he's very close to getting 100 RBIs, 35 home runs, 100 RBIs. You would take that from anybody on your team. But his batting average is below is in Gary told us that's what the Mariners are. And that's what all of Major League Baseball is now. It's just get on base and slugging. On-base percentage and slugging, and the thing of batting average is is, is a thing of the past. So, uh, look, I maybe we just got to stop fighting this, right? And this is baseball now. This is a thing of of pitch counts, but Kirby just looks bad in this one because, again, I go to that Orioles game, and I get it. It was a completely different game. When you go nine innings and you throw barely over 100 pitches, you were feeling good that day. You were pitching very well this particular game against tampa bay was probably a very different story we don't know what he was feeling like physically but to your point babyface if you've never gone 90 pitches before okay yes you know yourself better than anybody but he went 103 earlier in the season so it's 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 very very interesting i just wanted to get your thoughts on that we're talking the Doyers and the marineros this weekend this is going to be a real test for the dodgers uh, depending on the outcome, this, this is really weird because the math has changed now on the magic number. Before the magic number was five and then all of a sudden it was reduced down to four and the Diamondbacks hadn't even lost or anything like that. But now the Giants and the Diamondbacks are tied. So you can't necessarily go off of if the Diamondbacks lose, now it's with the Giants. So there is a chance because the Diamondbacks and the Giants both play Thursday let's say if they both lose, that going into Seattle, the Dodgers' magic number is going to be three. So they have a very good chance, whether it's three or whether it's four, they have a good chance of clinching this weekend. So, babyface, let's let's end this show with this. Would you rather see the Dodgers clinch in Seattle this weekend, or do you want to see them clinch it at home on Monday against Detroit? Los Tigres de Detroit. I mean I think it's it's uh
2: I think you want to clinch whenever you can, right? As soon as you can, right, to clinch, but you know, from a fan's perspective, right? I kinda wanna see them do it at home, right? To I don't think they've clinched at home like too often over like this it's last It's been a run. while, right. It, it, I mean they've only done it maybe once or twice, if that. So it'd be nice to see them do it at home and kind of on a – maybe a little bit uh selfless it's a, I want to go to that Monday game so maybe <laughs> maybe be there for the celebration right um, but like I said I'd, I'd want to see them do it as early as possible but it'd be nice to kind of see it do, do it at home you know go out there with the fans you know run around we've seen that before you know they they go on the field and they kind of run around and and do their thing so I think that'd be kind of nice
0: yeah, I mean it's going to be a very uh, it's going to be a tough series uh because like Gary said the Marinettos are playing good baseball. They're in a dogfight. They're still in it to to win that division and um, a month ago I never would have thought that was possible for them. I thought the Rangers were running away with that division. Now the Marinettos still have a chance to win that division. If not, they still have a chance to make the playoffs. And their rotation as Gary has told us is the best part of that team. So the Dodgers after we we've seen lately, when they face good pitching, it neutralizes that offense, and and things are different. So, I have a feeling they're probably not going to clinch until they come back home until Dodger Stadium, into Dodger Stadium. But we shall see uh, this weekend. Um, just just wrap things up here, make sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast, not only to this podcast, but make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel. We're dropping a lot of exclusive material only on YouTube. We just had Cody Snavely contributor to the bleed Lows podcast and to Dodgers beat. He was covering the team in Washington DC. We have an episode where Cody shares with us, everything he saw there in Washington. We have other stuff that you can only see when we're at the stadium covering the team, we're dropping the interviews that we have pre-game scrubs with Dave Roberts. Post-game interviews are all on our YouTube channel. So make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel so that way you can get alerted of all these new videos. Yo ha sido su servidor Juan Ramirez de parte de mi colega Babyface. Nos vemos para la próxima. This episode of the Bleed Los Podcast is brought to you by BetOnline.ag, where the game starts